Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Better than this, guys. Me dudes here on the Draft Dudes Podcast, presented by Locked On. It's Joe Marino and Kyle Krabs from the Draft Network, and we are your hosts here on this live episode of Draft Dudes. It'll be the Wednesday podcast you in your feed. Very good. Uh, we're here to talk about, you know, I guess some disappointing things, but really we want to keep this about football and, and how the football side of things are impacted. Kyle, good evening. Good morning to you. Good evening, good morning, good afternoon, whenever and wherever you are listening. Uh, Joe, as, as you said, we are live on the Periscope YouTube and Facebook channel. Felt like we were just here, and it's because we were, <laughs> but uh, we, we had the news come through that uh, the Big Ten is postponing, postponing the fall season of college football, and the Pac-12 uh, is out all the way out uh, for football in the fall. So... Um, I think what we wanted to do, because we, what we don't want to do is start getting into what is right and what is wrong as far as the decisions. Everybody has an opinion there, and there's going to be differences of opinions, and that's okay. Uh, but, Joe, we are going to look at some of the dynamics of the players specifically who could have been impacted or who could be impacted by this and some of the decisions that they may choose to make, depending on if the Big 12 – and the ACC and the SEC decide they do want to play in the fall because that's going to open up kind of this madness, if you will, where players are going to have the opportunity to go play somewhere else if they're intent on entering the 2021 NFL draft. Kyle, you mentioned in the pre-show, and we did a good job of pumping the brakes and not doing the pod before the pod. Which we always do. We, we do. We, we do. Thank God we had an actual time where we had to go live <laughs> or else we may have done that. Uh, you said you had some big thoughts on kind of something that I brought up was mm -hmm. like, do we really think that in the aftermath of these postponements or can cancellations that there really is going to be this massive influx of, of transfers, guys that are going to look to play football somewhere else in a conference that is going forward with their schedule as we know it today? Or do you think that's more of a fun discussion, but in all actuality, there's not going to be this influx of transfers. And then I guess before I really get out of the way and, and listen to you talk here, I, I want to mention that what does this, what type of messaging is this for those existing teams, right? Let's say that you're some cornerback at Wake Forest and you've been, you know, you're a rising junior and you've been preparing and, and, and ready to be that cornerback. It's your turn to start, but then all of a sudden Sean Wade's here, you know, how do you deal with that from that perspective, like in terms of the way you're building your team and being honest with guys that you've communicated a, a vision and a plan for, and then all of a sudden, you know, this turn of events happens and all of a sudden you're a guy that you've been loyal to and has been committed to you is not, not going to get that chance to play. So I'll, I'll get out of the way here. Well, uh, I think to the, the thing that you mentioned there about the dynamics of a player coming in who hasn't been a part of the program, I think everybody kind of understands like, this is a once in a lifetime kind of situation here, right? Now, I don't think you're necessarily disrespecting or, or 
hanging out to dry players who um, are on your program if you have an opportunity to bring a potential impact player in. But as far as, you know, we I was reading the premium slack, right? And there's guys going back for, oh, Pat Fryermuth to Notre Dame, da 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 you, I think you got to have something to prove to transfer. I don't think guys are going to transfer just to play. I think you, you, Sean Wade is a great example of a guy who could have come out last year, elected to go back. He wanted to pursue a national championship, but he also wanted to prove he could play outside corner. Mm-hmm. You ain't going to prove you could play outside corner at Ohio State this year. Can't do it. Right. Not before the NFL draft, because if they do play in the spring, which that's a whole different thing, you're going to be in direct conflict with the NFL draft process. So Sean Wade, if he wants to prove he can play outside corner, is probably not going to have the opportunity to do so at Ohio State now. Where are some places that make sense? You start looking around. ACC is still scheduled to play at this point in time. Joe, did you know Caleb Farley and Wake Forest? Or or I'm sorry, Virginia Tech. Virginia (laughs) Tech was one of three schools that Sean Wade had a visit with. And um, opted to go to Ohio State. With Caleb Farley opting out, I look at Virginia Tech and I say that's a great opportunity for Sean Wade to go get the opportunity he was hoping to get at Ohio State with a school that was interested in him and he was clearly interested in throughout the recruiting process. I think those are the kinds of players that really have something to gain who don't have a lot of experience in a high-value position. Daniel Falele from Minnesota is another example. He started 19 games at Minnesota. It's not a small sample size. But it's not like he think about Makai Becton and the jump Makai Becton made as far as being a physically dominant football player and offensive tackle and how he got ended up getting drafted where 10th, 11th. He got drafted 11th to the Jets. Daniel Falele right now is not getting drafted 11th, but if he goes somewhere and has the opportunity to showcase himself and take that next step in his game with his stature and his athleticism, he should be a top 20 pick if he puts it all together. But I don't think you look at the tape that he put on display last year and say, yeah, he's got it all together. So that's kind of, those are the players for me. I don't think like quarterbacks is a completely different story because you're talking about transferring weeks before the season's supposed to start. Mm -hmm. That's an extremely difficult proposition, but guys like Daniel Falele, guys like Sean Wade, those are the players for me, Hamilcar Rochette over the Pac-12. I think those are the kinds of players who can really gain ground and make themselves money if they would have played and balled out this year that make the most sense. Aiden Hutchinson from Michigan, the defensive end. He had three and a half sacks last year. You watch his tape, he's a lot better than three and a half sacks. But you could be damn sure there's going to be questions about his ability to finish if he doesn't get a chance to go play somewhere. Now, he picked Michigan because his dad played for uh, Bo Schembechler and Michigan back in the, the 80s. He had an offer from LSU. What's to say you don't go transfer down play at LSU? So players like that. RockAuto.com is a family business who's been providing auto parts customers with high-quality service online for the last 20 years. Whether you're looking for brake parts, engine control modules, new carpet, motor oil, or tail lamps, for your classic or daily driver, rockauto.com has everything you need in one easy-to-navigate catalog, and in just a few clicks, can have everything you need delivered directly to your front door. And best of all, prices are the same at rockauto.com for both professionals and do-it-yourselfers. So why would you shop anywhere else and spend up to twice as much for the same parts? 
So visit rockauto.com right now for all of your auto needs and write Locked On in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, and all of the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com There's two Ohio State players that really pop to me in this discussion. Uh, they both have the same first name, Tyreek, right? Is it Tyreek Evans? Is is he the end? And then Tyreek Johnson's the corner. And Tyreek Evans is the end? I don't know if it's Evans off the top of my head. So, so while Kyle's confirming that, those seem to be like guys that were the next in line, right? It's been like Chase Young, Joey Bosa, Nick Bosa. This is that next big-time Ohio State defensive end. On the cornerback side of thing, uh, you know, like Damon Arnett and and uh, Jeff Akuda were were there, kind of clogging things up. And this was their chance to be that big time recruit to step in limited snaps. But in those limited snaps, you see the, the the potential. Are those guys that you think should just wait it out and come back and play football at Ohio State, or seek those opportunities elsewhere and and see what that can do for the draft stock? Yeah, so it was Tyreek Smith was the defensive yeah, end. Okay, uh, so Tyreek Smith and Tyreek Johnson. What's interesting about both those guys is they haven't really put on a ton of tape already. And Tyreek Johnson played, I think 15 snaps was his season high against Maryland. And then he played 13 against Rutgers. And that's like the vast majority of the snaps that he got past year. I don't know, like, is that guy really going to go one and done and turn it into like a college basketball kind of thing? It's not as though he has a lot of momentum on his side. He's starting from scratch. So a player like that as a redshirt or as a redshirt sophomore, I would probably be more inclined if I were him to not make any drastic transfer moves to chase the NFL this year. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because it's like it's like Sean Wade could have been a first round pick. Daniel Falele is probably going to be a top fifty pick, but could be a top thirty two pick. Tyreek Johnson, you're you're starting at square one. I don't think. From my perspective, if I were in those shoes, I would probably just say NFL wasn't meant to be for me in 2021. I'm going to come back and get him again in 2022. What about on the other side of this, Kyle? I know that you've intimately studied the Big Ten this summer, and so Mm -hmm. I want to really tap into your knowledge here. What guys do you think about on the opposite side of this where you say, you know what, man, you've done done enough. You're you're cemented in your draft status. There's no reason to talk about transfers. It's time to get ready for the combine. I think Pat Fryermuth is the first name that comes to mind, the tight end from Penn State. And that was one of the ones in the TDM premium slack. And everybody's kind of buzzing about, you know, players and if they do transfer where they would go. What is Pat Fryermuth going to show on tape that he hasn't already? You know, it's Rashad Bateman already made that decision. Micah Parsons mm-hmm. already made this decision. You know, if you're perceived to be a first round guy, I don't think you have a lot to gain by going to play anywhere else. And that brings up an interesting kind of conflict with, with Justin Fields, right? Justin Fields has been very vocal about wanting to play, but are you going to transfer and change schools three weeks before the start of the season or whenever the season's supposed to start at this point? I'm sure that'll be an evolving process as well, but like you got to learn a new offense in a month. Right. And you're already perceived to be QB two. And and it's the same discussion that we had with Trey Lance when we had our TDN scouting staff meetings and we were talking, we talked in depth. We probably talked for 30, 40 minutes about Trey Lance and the dynamics of like, what do you have to gain versus what do you have to lose? What if you transfer somewhere else and you don't play well because you go to Florida state 
mm-hmm. you don't have chemistry with the wide receivers and you got to learn this brand new offense with Mike Norvell in a month and you don't play well or you play slow and you get hurt versus right now at this point in time, what is Justin Fields? He's QB2 probably. Worst yeah. case scenario is QB3. And we see how the NFL always ends up valuing the potential franchise quarterbacks. So that's where I kind of struggle with, you know, if you're perceived to be a top 20, top 25, Rondale Moore is another example. And I think Rondale is at least interesting because he had some durability issues. He missed eight games last year, right? But he had a whole bunch of 100-yard receiving games. He had two 100-yard receiving games and four tries in 2019. So even he, despite the fact that he missed two-thirds of the season, was really explosive and, and looked to be every bit as good as what he was his freshman year last year. What about Wyatt Davis, guard from – No I, reason I, to play. He's good, right? He's yes. a top 25 pick. Yes, I, th- I think Wyatt Davis and even the center, Josh Myers. I don't think they have anything to prove. I don't think they have a lot of ground to gain. Like Josh Myers, it's the same thing. Like, okay, you're center two. You want to go chase down Creed Humphrey? You're probably <laughs> not going to chase down Creed Humphrey. Mm-hmm. You, as a center, are still probably going to be a top 50 pick. So I think just – and some of that comes to positional value too, in my opinion, right? It's like you're a center or running back and you're perceived to be a top 50, top 40 pick. What's the point? I mean, you're, you're splitting hairs and you're taking a risk by changing your environment and putting yourself into so much unknown with a very short amount of time to make that decision. So I think it's, it's really the guys, you know, when I tried to, to work through and pick guys, it was a lot of, because I, I wrote this article for TDN uh, Tuesday afternoon. It was five dream pairings between Big Ten prospects and transfer destinations. It was like running back, Journey Brown to Texas. Um, you know, that that's a very straightforward, cut and dry transition. You think about Sean Wade, corner. You're gonna play go go play outside corner. Okay, yeah, go play man-to-man coverage on the outside. It's not quarterback. It's not you know, a lot of these nuanced positions where you really have to have chemistry and timing and, and process everything that's all the layers to playing the game of football. So I think the more complex your position is, the more difficult of a proposition it is to get on board. But with all that said, please give me Daniel Falele to Alabama. If we get one transfer, what an amazing – we went through in, in our scouting staff Slack channel, Joe, Falele was recruited and had an offer from Alabama before he chose Minnesota. That offensive line, he's already, he was already teammates at IMG with uh, Neil, who started left guard for them last year and is projected to be the right tackle and take over for Jedrick Wills. So like in, they don't have an incumbent right tackle right now. Their offensive line, it would be like Leatherwood's 315, Neil is 360, their center is 344. Uh, Brown is 360 at right guard, and Falele would be 400 pounds at right tackle. This would have to be the biggest offensive line in the history of college football. I need it. Speaking of offensive line, um, obviously I did a bunch of work on the ACC this mm-hmm. summer, and one thing that's really interesting about Clemson, a team that I'm not super high on this year, they only return. 17 career starts on their offensive wow. line, and every one of them is left tackle Jackson Carmen. That is it. 
All right, so I know they already lost Justin Ross, but that is a team that if I'm looking for transfers to bring in, I'm calling up Dylan Radoons from North Dakota State or, yeah. you know, whatever, Michael Manet from Penn State, the, the center. I mean, sure, there's other good offensive linemen even going to the Pac-12. That's a team that I don't know their ability to bring in guys in terms of their their scholarship, you know, availability. But they should be looking for those answers. I know they probably have some really highly touted recruits, but for Clemson, that hasn't really mattered, right? They had uh, – who was that left tackle that they had? Just every award in the world. He was a five-star. Started Mitch, Hyatt. Two, Mitch Hyatt. Yeah, he yeah, won every award you can win as a college offensive lineman. He was the highest recruit. He started as a true freshman. The guy didn't get drafted. So, like, they not they haven't really scouted and recruited offensive line well, even though they get big-time recruits. Or they're not developing them. So getting yeah, more finished products from right. other schools could be a really nice bonus for them. Right, especially when you have Trevor Lawrence going into this year where he loses T. Higgins, where he doesn't have Justin Ross, and four new starters on the offensive line. You might they're as well the, make sure the number your one starters are good. <laughs> yeah, I, I t- that's what I would be doing. If I was Clemson, I'd be do- I'd be looking for that in a big way. All right, let's see. We did get a couple questions, Joe. A couple uh, worthwhile discussion points. Uh, this one came from Jack in the premium Slack. Saw someone tweet that without the 2019-2020 season, Joe Burrow would have been a fifth-round pick. Which QB do you think is most likely to be that day three player now who would be a first-round pick or potential to be a first-round pick if they would be able to play this year. Joe Burrow himself said if he didn't yeah. have last season, he'd probably be looking for a job right now. It's more than just Joe. Think about Cam Newton if he never had 2010 at Auburn. Baker Mayfield, Ky- Kyler Murray, Murray. Mitch, Trubisky, Mitch Trubisky. I mean, these guys wouldn't have been drafted where they were drafted if they didn't have that last year. Yeah, so is there – that I? we kind of had this conversation a little bit when we did the TDN scouting staff meetings and we tried to figure out like who would be that guy. And we didn't really come to any confident conclusions, right? It, there were some players that we liked. I liked some, some of the things I saw from Penn state, Sean Clifford uh, as a toolsy athlete at the position. Uh, Tanner Morgan has some fans. He's kind of an accurate passer with just enough nimbleness and and athletic ability uh, to extend some plays within the pocket, but uh, they weren't players that really jumped off the screen at you. Drew Blake here in the comments saying Desmond Ritter. I was sitting there chewing on that, waiting for you to get done because Desmond Ritter is a guy that I I like a ton. And I think just from, from a traits perspective, he's got it all. He's six, four, 220 pounds. He's got a big arm. He can run. He's a very talented runner. You know, he just, I think for him, Last year, I almost felt like he started the season so well with the deep ball that he just kept forcing it, and he needed to just play a little bit more in structure, take take the layups when they were there, and and just kind of like just learn how to really use his gifts. But that's a guy, man, that's oozing with talent. That I mean, right now the AAC is in, so we don't have a, a concern about him not playing. But if they were to cancel things, that's a guy that I thought could take a big take a big step and and really challenge for you know being one of the top four or five quarterbacks off the board. I don't want to turn my nose up at this option for Mitch Dottery either. And he said, Sam Ellinger. He's got fans. He's got fans. He's he's got fans. And you know, kind of his evolution as a college quarterback, I said college quarterback reminded me a little bit of what we saw from the start to end of Dak Prescott's career 
with Mississippi State, where he was primarily a runner to start, and he kind of surprised his with his passing improvement through his the end of his senior season and what was that 2015 was his final season at Mississippi State goes to the senior bowl and has a nice week and it's like he's kind of built the same way he kind of attacks the position the same way that Dak did early on in his career at Mississippi State so I think that's a an interesting name and definitely a name who if he shows improvements as a passer and there's plenty of improvement to be had let's be completely honest but if he shows improvements as a passer He's got the intangibles perspective that's definitely going to move the needle for some people. Kyle, from the Pac-12 side of things, I mean, the big name out of the Pac-12 is is Oregon left tackle Penae Sewell. Yes. You know, I even even today this afternoon, Brian Baldinger on Twitter's saying that he's got some Walter Jones in him. I oh mean, my. you want to talk about high praise, brother. Oh talk my. about Walter Jones, a Hall of Fame nine-time Pro Bowler, man. Is this a player that, I mean, kind of like in it, even in it, Think about you know Greg Rousseau from Miami who's in, right? I mean, yeah. Sewell's Sewell's shown more than Rousseau. You think that he's in? You think he waits it out? I mean, is this a transfer candidate? There's no reason to transfer. If Oregon, if you wanted to play and Oregon was going to play football this year, that'd be one thing. Yeah. But I don't think you uproot and move somewhere else across the country just to play for the sake of play. I'd be I'd, I'd be checking into the nearest uh athletic training facility and start my prep for the NFL combine you're going to be a, a top 5 pick at the absolute worst based on your tape right mm-hmm. um and and I'd start making sure my nutrition was up to snuff and start working on my interview process and cuz he ain't going to the senior bowl or anything else either right like he's going he's going straight to the combine and you're going to get one job opportunity you might get a pro day be interesting, you know, if they do end up playing some spring football with some of these conferences, what do you do with the pro days? You put the yeah. pro day at the beginning of the season and distract <laughs> and distract the players who, you know, weren't considering the NFL draft. You put it at the end of the, like, the, from a logistics standpoint, there's so many things that need to be ironed out here and figured you out. You mentioned when you were talking about quarterbacks, just certain positions compared to others may just may not make sense to go try to find a gig right now. What do you think about safety and specifically Javon Holland, the safety from, from Oregon who, you know, has a lot of fans, but is a player that I think could use another year of good tape out there. Would you be advocating for him to try to find some work or do you look at the safety position and cohesiveness of, of secondaries and, you know, just different responsibilities and gelling with those guys. Is that being a position where that could backfire just because of the dynamics of of playing safety? Um, I think he's versatile enough that he can step into a more vanilla role to start. And I do agree with you. I think from a a tape perspective, he, the more tape for him, the better, right? Because he was a buzzy name because he's versatile and he flashed around the ball a ton. And then you actually watch his tape and it's like, okay, like you're a nice player, but like, are you going to be able to pull that off at the pro level with your functional athleticism? And that's kind of like the book on him. I think it'd be great to get him in the sec. If you had the opportunity to, um, you know, even maybe the big 12 to another extent where you can face off against some of these spacing teams and play on an Island and play out in space a little bit. And I know there's some of that in the pac 12, but you get even more of it to the umpteenth degree in the big 12. So he would be a player that if I found an opportunity and a fit that I liked, 
yeah, I'd probably look for for another opportunity to play and get some tape because you could start him in just you want to play him in man in nickel. You can do that to start. You want to have him be big nickel and and run the the alley uh, in run fits or play shallow zone and just start there, and then you can kind of stack on throughout the course of the season as it goes. I think that's a reasonable proposition to make. Two guys that I wanted to ask you about when we, you know, we said, Hey, we want to go live tonight and talk about this stuff. Mm -hmm. Two names that immediately came to my mind were these super freaky athletes in the, in the big 10, the, the pass rushers, one from Penn state, Jason Owa, and then from Michigan, K witty pay. I mean, freaks, right? Total freaks. Mm -hmm. Are these guys that need to maybe just stick it out and, and play where they are? Or do you think that they can go somewhere and have monster years and capitalize on freak athleticism and, go be high draft picks. I think pay has enough at his disposal where I don't think he has to prove any, I think he has less to prove than what Aiden Hutchinson does. Uh, his teammate there at Michigan, you know, what you would have got from pay this year would have been with Josh Uche out of the building. You would have got more splash plays. You would have had more of the opportunities that Josh Uche had, but this is a man in K Woody pay that's listed at six, four, two seventy five and is one of Bruce Feldman's top freak athletes at the edge position in this year's NFL draft. He had six and a half sacks and 12 and a half tackles for loss last year. So it's not like he didn't get a ton of opportunities. He still got plenty of production. It's just, and I'll say this is, is TDN, you know, when we watch the, the college all 22, we don't have the luxury of putting like the filters on, right. And only finding like certain plays where like, pay pass deflection or pay tackle or pay sack or pay tackle for loss. You got to watch the full tape from start to finish. (laughs) So it's really annoying to watch Michigan when they rotated these guys so much, but the plays are there, you know, and and if you put Michigan defensive tape through a fine tooth brush, I think you see plenty of opportunities with pay. Whereas Jason Owa was more of a rotational guy. And what's interesting for him is he's so young that he might kind of fall into the bucket of Tyreek Smith and, and Tyreek Johnson a little bit where it's like, man, like how intent were you on going this year? Because if you were dead set on leaving, then yeah, you got to go transfer and play somewhere else to get more tape. But if you were like kind of 50, 50, just stay in happy Valley and just play in 2021 and then come out in 2022. I, I don't think there's a big urgency with him because he's so young, but he would be a player that I don't think can afford to just not play any more football and then transfer out or, and, and then declare for the draft. Kyle, the last thing I want to get to from my notes specifically and get your take on was we've, we've kind of talked about this from the player's perspective, from the team's perspective, but what are like, mm-hmm. what about the NFL perspective? How do you think the NFL is processing this and knowing that they're not going to have their normal opportunity to really scout these football players and they've got to make investments. There's still going to be 250 plus players drafted, you know, next spring. Right. Do you think, I mean, how do you think this impacts their willingness to draft some of these guys? You know, I know it's player to player, but collectively what's the overarching theme? I think you're going to see some teams that trust their scouting process a lot more than others. (laughs) And they'll probably be buyers and the teams that don't trust their scouting process as much, or they have change or they just don't feel comfortable. You're going to see buyers and sellers. And I think you'll see teams that are going to be pretty eager, especially if they feel like they're close 
my my prediction is teams that feel like they're close, they're going to trade their picks for a known asset who's already in the NFL and attack improving their roster that way. So I think you're going to kind of see the haves and the have-nots uh, with how teams choose to attack it. And the closer you feel like you are to winning a Super Bowl, I think the more likely it is that you're not going to invest your first-round pick or, or a top-50 pick or or a day-two pick on a rookie. You'd probably say, you know what? I've got four years of NFL tape on this guy. This team's trying to offload him because his contract's getting ready to expire and they don't want to pay it. I'll pay it. Bring him in. I'd rather trade you the two and bring in an established NFL asset. Well, and that was going to be my thought here is that I think we will see more movement within the draft, but particularly when it comes to teams giving up draft capital for proven players. And it helps me stomach the Jamal Adams trade a whole lot more for the Seattle Seahawks, a team that struggles to make good picks in the first round. You know, I know they gave up two of them, but we're talking about a team that's going to be picking in the last, what, eight or 10 picks. Let's be honest. And they know that they're going to get Jamal Adams. And if you're a team that you're going to be in that range, what's like, go get that known commodity. What's the alternative? To to take a risk on a guy that you're not going to have the same information on. And yeah, it could lead to some interesting competitive balance and maybe kind of change some of the, the life cycles for some teams. But, you know, if I'm a team picking in the late first round, I'm going to be really interested potentially in giving up my first round pick to get somebody that I know can help me and go compete. And, you know, there's going to be teams that are going to want those opportunities to, like you said, trust their scouting process, get younger and uh, maybe even get more for what they could have traded for. Right. You know, just kind of playing the game there a little bit. So Drew Blake asks a great question here. He says, is Yannick Ngakwe and Jacksonville the closest thing to a winner in this? Look at where Jacksonville is in their rebuilding process, right? They're going to have a ton of assets, a ton of draft capital. They're going to have the bullets in the chamber where, like, you know there's going to be some more volatility. But when you have this many picks, how royally effed up does your draft process have to be for you to whiff on if you get a first round for Jan, right? So now you'd be talking about three first round picks this year. Law of averages says, you know, with the volatility, yeah, you're probably going to miss on one of those guys, or the the averages suggest you're going to miss on one of those guys. But you got three shots, and one of them's probably going to be a top three pick and a quarterback. So, yeah, I think from Jacksonville's perspective, they will be a team that covets draft capital because they're probably going to be pushing reset unless they really surprise everybody with how well they play this year. Yannick is desperate to get out of Duval County, so he's – He's got to be loving anything that potentially increases his odds of getting out of there. But I think Yannick has, has kind of taken like the leverage power play against a team and he dialed it up to 13 on <laughs> a 10 point scale. And it's like, there's probably some teams that have some apprehension about Yannick because of how outspoken, like he's way off the reservation as far as hammering Jacksonville and their organization. And Joe, did he even sign his franchise tender? No, I don't know. He didn't sign his tender. So he can't, he now he can't. has a veto power yeah. up against any potential trade, which mm-hmm. means teams aren't going to give you a first round pick for mm-hmm. him. Now. The other thing that makes that challenging is the reduced cap, right? If this thing's 175 oh, yeah. million, the ability to absorb Yannick and pay him, that becomes very challenging. So while I think conceptually, what we've talked about makes a lot of sense, keeping in mind the reduced cap and absorbing 
contract is not something a lot of teams are able to do. Now, with that said, the Colts should trade for Yannick Ngakwe. <laughs> I can think of a couple teams that uh, should probably make a move for Yannick here, bring him in. If you, if you feel like you're a playoff contender, yeah, pay it up. Give up the two now, right? And, and Jacksonville. If it's a two, yeah. If oh, Jacksonville's going to hold out for a one, you can enjoy him not playing this year what at is, all let's, and let's not getting think- anything for him. There's I I'm just, there's so many teams that make sense. I know the cap makes things a little bit challenging, but I I mean if you can if Yannick can be had for a two, there are so many teams that should get that done. And that's frustrating for Jacksonville because if you wouldn't have strung him out, what what could you you probably could have got a one and change, right? I think that's what's hard, though, because I'm thinking Dallas, they don't have cap space. New Orleans, they don't have cap space. Tampa Bay, they don't have cap space. Cleveland, they just gave a million zillion dollars to Miles Garrett. We're going to have right. $50 million right. pass rush rotation. Drew mentions Baltimore, but I don't know that Jan is a great scheme fit for Baltimore's archetypes and style of play. I know they brought Calais Campbell in there, right? So, like, there's at least one piece of the Jacksonville puzzle that can fit, but I think Calais has a little bit more like look at Matt Judon and his profile as an athlete versus Yannick, who's two fifty, maybe with a big lunch, two fifty. <laughs> so man, I, I Philadelphia would have made a ton of sense, but they're the worst one of the worst teams in they the NFL from a cap space perspective. They they cannot possibly afford to take it on. The Colts are the team that have like eighty six million dollars mm-hmm. in cap space projected for next year. You know who's who else has a lot of cap space? The, the Jaguars. Patriots. Yeah, oh. the Patriots, yeah. the Jaguars, the Jets. Yep. The Jets should make this deal. They got extra picks now. They haven't Ari- had a good edge rusher since Calvin Pace. What about Arizona? They've got space. They got a quarterback on a rookie deal. That'd be fun with him and Chandler Jones. Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, now we're. Start making some calls, Jacksonville. Let's go. <laughs> get it done, man. We are speaking of getting it done, Joe. We're we're getting it done here on Drafties, and we're done for the night. This was a solid 35 minutes of content for the people reacting to the fallout of the Big Ten and Pac-12 decisions that came through today. And you know, there there will be a lot of fluidity to this process for these players and uh for the the teams in the conferences as well as what as they try to figure out what this is going to look like, because we have entered into some uncharted waters. So uh, definitely some storylines to continue to monitor. And as those things arise, we make sure uh, we will touch on them here with draft dudes. So if you're watching live and there's been a ton of you guys that have been following along with us, uh, we're really grateful to have you watching Facebook, YouTube, Periscope slash Twitter. If you are listening to the podcast via you know, your, your phone or smart device or whatever it is that you typically listen to podcasts to. We typically do these things at 8 PM. It's typically on Mondays and Thursday, but Joe, today was not a typical day in uh, the NFL draft realm. So we decided to hop on and have a little bit of fun and talk about this live. So I want to thank everybody for tuning in. Make sure you hit subscribe on the draft dudes podcast. Come check us out Mondays and Thursdays, live 8 PM Eastern standard time. As we get you guys involved with the show. Kyle Krabs signing off with Joe Marino. 
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.